Welcome to Fifth in Mission. I'm Chronicle staff writer Dominic Fercasa. Of all the metrics we use to define this pandemic, one benchmark stands alone, the death count. As of this recording, more than 150,000 Americans have died from COVID-19, more than those who died in World War I or in Vietnam. The number is an obvious way to assess the toll of the coronavirus. But some really fundamental questions start to emerge once you scratch the surface of this sobering statistic. For one, it doesn't really tell us exactly how deadly the virus is, since the question of whether a person will survive the virus depends on a huge number of variables. Now, at the moment, most experts are looking to a number that's easily obtained but troublesome. It's called the fatality rate, or deaths as a percentage of confirmed cases. There's a lot to unpack here, and here to help us do it is Chronicle Health writer Aaron Alday. Hi, Aaron. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, thank you for having me. It's good to talk to you. So I think most of us look at that death count each day you know, when we're reading the news or we're watching TV. It's, it's kind of ubiquitous at this point, but we don't really think twice about what it's actually telling us or not telling us, right? So, so what, what is the death count in actually based upon, right? And what are we missing if we were to focus just on that number? So the death count, I mean, the death count alone is a pretty reliable number and that, you know, you have people, people die, it's clear that they have died and it's fairly clear what they've died of. You know, there's some, there's some, you know, variance in that and it can, it can depend on who's making the call. But, but in general, you know, the, the number of people who have died is a pretty reliable um um, kind of marker of of this pandemic. What's problematic is when you try to figure out what percent of people who get cr- the coronavirus are going to die from it, um, and that would be sort of the the actual fatality rate, which is you know of every single person who is infected, regardless of if they have symptoms um, or if they're hospitalized and put on a ventilator. Who what, what percentage of those people are going to die? And that's that's a really tough number to figure out because we are really bad at finding out kind of what that total is, getting a sense of like all of the people who are infected. It's for obvious reasons, it's really tough to identify every single person who has, say, an asymptomatic infection. Um, If you don't have symptoms, you're probably not going to get tested. You're never going to be identified. So we have a really tough time figuring that out. What what we can use as sort of a little bit of a placeholder is this case fatality rate, which is looking at the confirmed cases. So the cases that we have reported, that we have identified through testing, and figuring out the percentage of deaths of all of those cases. And that doesn't tell us, again, what your your individual chance of dying of this virus is. Um, but what it can tell us is, you know, are people more likely to die in one location versus another? So, for example, the case fatality rate is much higher, has been much higher in New York than it has been in California. Um, it can also tell us that that's changed over time because, um, you know, the case fatality rate has gotten low over time for a lot of reasons, partly because we've gotten better at treating COVID-19. So there's a lot of information that can be gleaned from that, but it is, as you pointed out, a, a troublesome uh, metric. So let's, I mean, that's a fantastic overview. Let's just take a second and kind of, you know, it, to the extent that it's helpful, really Let's take a moment to define terms, right? So, so like, let's talk about the fatality rate in particular, which I know is an important, an important aspect of your story. So what are we talking about when we talk about the fatality rate in particular? 
So there's kind of <laughs> to make things extra complicated. There's there's a couple different kinds of fatality rates. So so a, an actual fatality rate, and I'm not using necessarily official health language here. So just to anybody who's listening and and wonders about that, um, you know, I'm trying to use. Um, friendly terminology but but the, you know, the you actual <laughs> yes i mean the actual fatality rate is when you talk about you know for for influenza you know we we have a pretty good idea that some you know very small percentage um i think it's you know under one half of one percent of people who get influenza will will die from it um and we've had influenza has been around forever we we have we're, we're pretty solid with that number but we also all know with influenza that you know, that's not even across all populations. My chances of dying from influenza are not the same as, you know, my my grandparents' chances of dying from influenza. So, you know, it's it's useful to a degree to kind of talk about that that fatality rate, but it's it's almost just more interesting than it is, you know, productive for us to talk about that. And we've really run into this with with the coronavirus, where it's kind of become even controversial when people talk about, well, how how much more fatal is this than the flu? And, you know, we're still figuring that out. The truth is that we don't know. Again, it's because we've run into these problems of figuring out what that that denominator is, how many people are actually infected with this. Um and so there's, like I said, there's this actual fatality rate, which for the coronavirus, we just don't know what it is yet. Um, as more data comes in, we think it's it's under 1%. That that seems to be agreed on. Um, so fewer than 1% of all people who are infected will die. But we don't really have it more refined than that. And and it is, you know, no matter what, it's more, it's more deadly than, it's deadlier than the flu. Um, but this, you know, what what this this other definition that you asked for is this case fatality rate, and this is this number that is actually obtainable. Um, we have all this data at our fingertips where we can say, you know, these are the total number of reported infections in California, um, which I'm going to actually let's go with the United States. The total number of infections in the United States is about 4.4 million as of today. And we have you know, as of uh, Wednesday, and we have 100 now 150,000 deaths. So we can say of all of the reported cases so far, 3.4% have resulted in death. And that's, that's important information to have, because it tells us, you know, we want, we want that number to get lower, we can get that number lower. And then we can also look at where what places in the country have a higher mortality rate than that. That means something's going wrong. There's something about that population, there's something about their response, that's problematic. Whereas we look at California, which actually has a much lower fatality rate, um, case fatality rate, um, under 2%. And that says, you know, that's probably because we protected our hospitals. Um, we did a really good job with sheltering in place, and we haven't had our hospitals overwhelmed. So we haven't had people, you know, dying because they're not getting appropriate care. You know, I, I really want to ask a, a kind of a, a basic question, and and that is, you know, to the extent to which, you know, you said you said in your story and you said just a moment ago that we may not know the total the, the total extent of the lethality of COVID-19 until after the pandemic has passed us by. But are, is there, are there aspects to that data? Are there aspects to the, the reasons we want to know what that information is that relate to how doctors treat patients now? In other words, is there something that the fatality rate is telling us that's not just for posterity's sake, that is relevant and applicable to the way that, you know, physicians are, are treating COVID cases as they come in the door? Uh, that's a really great question. And the answer, honestly, is mostly no. Um, that absolute fatality rate is really only kind of useful 
for like modeling purposes? If you want to talk about, you know, for a community, what type, uh, how many deaths should we expect from something? Like what should we be prepared for? Just how bad is this going to get? Um, is, is that's what that can be kind of useful for. But, you know, I was just talking with, with um, you know, an infectious disease expert today who was saying, frankly, for his purposes, for most doctors, the, the case fatality rate that what are what are an individual's, you know, what's what percent of people who are diagnosed are dying is, is kind of more useful for those frontline people. You know, they don't necessarily care about these theoreticals. What they care about is, you know, once somebody's diagnosed, what percentage of those people are going to die? So if you get you know, if you see a patient and you know, you know, 2% of people diagnosed in California are dying, that that's something you maybe want to know. That's something you're thinking about. More important than that is you really want to get those those demographic fatality um, numbers, that fatality data. So, you know, we see huge differences in fatality rates depending on age. You know, people who are, you know, over age 50 are much more likely to die than those under uh, 50, I think in Santa Clara County, they were saying that all that people 50 and over make up 95% of all deaths. So in that county, yeah. So I mean, that's, that's important information. If I'm a doctor, and I'm treating people, or I'm a nurse, and I'm treating someone that that matters, you know, what, you know, what kind of conditions they are dealing with, and, you know, how old they are, you want to look at what, what other health conditions they have. If somebody has diabetes that we know that puts them at higher risk of serious illness and death with this. So we want to take that into consideration. Um, so we definitely want that fine level data, you know, for sure. So, so it sounds like just quickly, you're saying that to, to, at least to some extent and, and not to, not to a small extent, this data is really going to inform how we understand and approach the next pandemic in some ways. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, you know, again, kind of going back to the differences that we've seen in this case fatality rate over time and across geography. I mean, you look at, again, the fact that New York had this, I mean, about 8%, I think they got even up close to or closer to 10% at some point um, in their pandemic of all reported cases were resulting in death. That's, that's awful. Like that's one in 10 of all reported cases were dying there for a time because their hospitals, you know, in large part, we understand because their hospitals were overwhelmed because doctor, you know, the doctors couldn't get to them. People were, or people were dying at home because they didn't feel safe going to the hospital. I mean, all kinds of factors coming in, whereas California has always stayed in that kind of one to 2% range. And we think that's because our hospitals were protected. So that's that's going to be hugely important to know for the next pandemic to say like, okay, well, it's obviously really important that we have this sort of capacity plan in mind so that when we hear about a new virus, we can put that into action right away and not have delays that, you know, result in our hospitals just being pushed past, you know, their limits. Well, Aaron, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break and be right back to talk more after this. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Aaron, I, I want to know, I mean, we don't, th- th- there's a relationship here, right? There's a relationship between cases and and mortality right and and how many people die as a result of the cases of of covid-19 that they get how does the country's really inconsistent approach to testing play into this discussion about about the mortality rate and how we understand what that information is actually conveying for us 
Yeah, that's I mean, that's definitely one of the big factors with one of the the problems, frankly, with looking at the case fatality rate. Um, and I, I try to be very, um, you know, upfront with people about that, that this is kind of a useful little number, but it's really highly problematic. And part of that is because the testing problems, testing shortages, which we still haven't fully resolved, are resulting in very sort of unreliable case counts at, at times. So like early on in this pandemic, our our testing was in short su- such short supply that we were only testing people who were symptomatic, in some cases who were already already hospitalized. There was a period of time where we would only test people in hospitals. Um, so those early cases, what that meant was the people who were identified, the people who were counted were people who were already very sick and who were therefore more likely to die. So it's, you know, to be expected that you would have a higher um, mortality, a higher case fatality rate earlier in time, earlier in this pandemic than you would later. So, you know, now that we're doing a lot more testing and, you know, we're, we're finding a lot more cases, um, you would expect that that, you know, that percentage would, would go down. We're also identifying a lot more people who have very mild illness or who are even asymptomatic. And those people are less likely to die. So, you know, it it just complicates things because it means that we can't we can't really tease apart what, you know, is our our fatality rate lower now because we're testing more? Is it because the nature of this pandemic has changed? Um, you know, we've definitely seen across the country that more younger people are getting infected. Um, as these cases have surged, we're seeing a lot a lot more younger people, um, and by younger, I mean like people 50 and under, are kind of going out. They're the ones that are getting infected for a variety of reasons. And they're also less likely to die. So, you know, is is our fatality rate going down because we're testing more and they're just we're seeing fewer deaths as a percentage, as a proportion of cases? Or is it because, you know, people are generally younger and healthier? Um, those are the ones who are getting sick now and they're less likely to die. And the truth is that it's it's all of the above. Um, you know, all of those factors play into it. And so that that does make it frustrating because it means like you can't just take this number at face value. You have to be very thoughtful about it. You know, I know that we are still very much in this um, as much as we'd like to believe that months into sheltering in place and, you know, the relentless the relentless news about this pandemic, much of which you're responsible for, Aaron, by the way, um, <laughs> What what have we have we learned anything concrete about the lethality of this virus? I mean, we're you are you are tracking this in in real time, right? And trying to report on what we know at this very moment. And what I come away with again and again, and I think what all readers need to need to keep in mind is that this is still very much a work in progress in trying to understand everything about this this pandemic and about this virus even. But is there anything about the lethality of it that we can that we can depend on right now? Yes, for sure. Um, and you're right, this is very dynamic. So I'm always sort of, you know, hesitant to pin down certainties. But there are some things. I mean, you know, like I said, the fact that this it's probably under 1% overall fatality rate, um, that's we we feel good about that now. And 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 you know, back in March, we really had no idea. There was a huge range, you know, up to I don't think it ever got up to 10%, but you know, we thought three or four or five percent, you know, fatality rate was possible, um, which you know, those sound like small differences, but when you're talking about, you know, six billion people, when you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of people infected, that gets into a huge 
difference in the number of deaths. And so, you know, that's that's reassuring that it's somewhat lower. But I want to make it clear that that is still, you know, that still is a big number. I mean, one percent is still a lot of of deaths if we just let this thing run rampant. Um, we also, again, have a lot more certainty about the fatality, you know, the fact that it's so much more fatal in older people than in younger people. Um, there have been, I don't, think there have been any children who have died in California from COVID-19. Wow. Um, and it's, you know, we're well over 8,000 deaths at this point. So that's, you know, that's that's remarkable. That's that's great. That's something that we really could, should feel reassured about. Um, one thing, and this is something that several folks reminded me while I was reporting on the story that we can't lose sight of is, you know, death is just one outcome. And one thing that we don't know much about and a lot of people are concerned about is, you know, this this for a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of younger people get very, very ill from this. Um, and they might be sick with this, you know, bed bound sick with this, even in the hospital for weeks and even months at a time. We've seen people that have resurgences of disease, you know, after thinking they were over it. Um, we have evidence, you know, that this could be damaging people's hearts in addition to their lungs, that people have, you know, some really serious kind of potentially long term effects. And this virus having only existed for six months, we we don't know what long term is at this point. You know, we don't know if there are going to be people that are going to be permanently harmed or if there are going to be people who are just going to suffer the effects of this for, you know, months or or longer. Um, we just those are unanswered questions and those could end up being honestly more dramatic than than the fatality issues um you know at the end of the day or at least i guess i shouldn't say more dramatic obviously deaths are just they're they're awful at any numbers but they certainly could be a big part of this picture in terms of you know what the public health effects are right there's a bigger picture that could emerge from all of these individual tragedies yes exactly well aaron thank you so much for your time and for your reporting thanks for being with us Thank you again for having me. Our thanks to Chronicle Health writer Aaron Alday for being with us today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. I'm Dominic Fercasa. We'll see you next time.